Hey Geekscapists, welcome to a brand new Geekscape. This is Jonathan London, your host, and um, I actually have a really great guest today. He's been on Geekscape before. His name is Scott Brown, and he's an author. He's the author of Breathers. He did Faded, and now he's got his new book, Lucky Bastard, which he's going to tell us all about. Um, if you guys are just listening to Geekscape for your first time, go check out geekscape.net, our website. We were also on Facebook. With uh, we're on, I think we're on YouTube and we're on Twitter. But Facebook, for sure, we have a, we put out all our new articles on Facebook. Uh, they will lead you back to the Geekscape.net website, so you'll be reminded, hey, this is a website we should be checking out because we put out some amazing articles. And not only that, we, we're starting to do a lot of events, which is cool. Um, tomorrow night, uh, we're, we're recording this on Wednesday, so tomorrow night, the twenty sixth, uh, we're all going to be hanging out at the AMC City Walk, watching a movie called The FP. If you guys remember a couple episodes ago, we had the uh, director and the star and uh, the art director and costumer of The FP, the post-apocalyptic movie about Dance Dance Revolution, <laughs> two ga rival gangs hashing it out through Dance Dance Revolution. It's a wild episode if you guys want to go back and listen to it. I think the movie's amazing. I'm really excited to see uh, the Geekscapists come out and watch that movie. Uh, thanks to Tug.com for uh, helping us organize the screening and getting AMC on board. It's cool. I, I want to do more public events for Geekscape. So uh, if you guys have any recommendations, anything you think we should do, movie screenings, uh, parties, whatever, let us know. Uh, send me an email, Jonathan at Geekscape.net. Also, next week, I want to plug this. Next week, uh, I'm going to be sitting down with Ralph Garman from K-Rock and Kevin Smith's uh, uh, what is it? it his his uh, Hollywood Babylon, this podcast that he does on the Smodcast Network. I'm gonna be sitting down with Ralph Garman and um, oh man, why am I blinking? Marv Wolfman, the legendary comic book writer who did that amazing run on Teen Titans during the '80s, and he's been writing a ton of stuff uh, in comic books. Uh, I'm gonna be sitting down with him and a couple comics, and we're gonna be doing comics on comics. We're bringing it back, but this time we're doing it at the Hollywood Improv, which is cool. If you're in Los Angeles, tickets are ten bucks. Come watch a live taping of Comics on Comics. Of course, I'm going to let you guys know on the Geekscape website about where you guys can listen to the podcast version of that uh, conversation. We're doing it once a month, which is cool. So once a month, the Hollywood Improv, me, some creators, and some comedians talking comic books. But if you can't wait that long, Geekscape.net. Come talk to us on Facebook or on Geekscape.net. Uh, all right. I've got Scott Brown here. We're going to be talking about his new book, Lucky Bastard. And... This is your Geekscape. Okay, Geekscapists, I'm here with Scott Brown. You've been on the episode, uh, you were on the episode, I think, last fall. Or I think so. last summer. I can't remember. For and you sure. were talking about your book, Faded. Which right. You, it, it, when did Faded come out? It came out in November. Whoa. Oh, Whoa. no. No, no, no. I, I, I'm still good. I'm still recording, <laughs> but I pulled my headphones out. Here's a lean towards me. I want to make sure your microphone is good to go. All right. The audience will definitely not notice a difference at all. Okay. <laughs> okay, so you were here talking about Faded. Uh, when did it come out? November 2010. 
And breathers okay. had came out had had, had um, I, I have good grammar. It's all right. Came out in uh, in March of two thousand and nine. Okay, so you're roughly doing a book a year, for the most part. At least that's when they're coming out. Right. Yeah, I'd actually finished faded. Uh, about a month after Breather sold. And, it, and so it didn't actually come out for a year and a half after I'd finished it, mm -hmm. just because of the way things worked out. But yeah, for the most part. And I finished my next book after Lucky Bastard. And You're already done that. with the next book? The next book is done, other than the fact that I have to get some... Editorial? I, I, I have to do some rewrites. I have to move some things around. Right. And, and the structure of the way I've told the story, so I need to, to make it work a little bit better. To, to But the pieces to are there. Off. The puzzle yeah. is laying out on the table. Yes, it is. I you just, just have, I have to put it a little bit together. Right. So, yes. You just announced that you, like, I bought a model kit. That does not mean you're finished with the model kit. Right. That's true. <laughs> but, but, no, no, but the book, no, it's done. Right. I just have to go and rearrange some things to mm -hmm. make it work. So, you know, first, sec, first draft done, second draft done, third draft sent to my agent, feedback from her. Now I'm working on that. In this new book, Lucky Bastard, guys, if you're listening to this, it's been out a week. If you're listening to this uh, in late April when we put up this episode. The uh, book's been out a week, and this is your kind of crime noir novel. It is. It's, you won't be able to find a section in your bookstore that actually this genre fits into, you know, fiction literature. But if you're looking for uh, mystery, noir, uh, dark comedy, uh, social satire, and uh, adventure, they don't have that section. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, this is kind of a, this is a slash book. It's... You know, it's a little, a little, the big sleep, Raymond Chandler, a little Elmore Leonard, um, and mostly me. It's again, it's it's dark comedy, social satire, a lot of playfulness. Takes place all in one day. Starts out on the roof of a hotel, and and my main character is up there with a naked woman holding them at knife point, and the rest of the book pretty much explains how he got back onto the roof. So it takes place all in one day. So it it moves a little fast, and uh, the the one twist. To it that is supernatural. All my books have some kind of a supernatural mm -hmm. or fantastic element. Is it that my main character, who is a private detective, his real job is that he's a luck poacher. He's been born with the ability to steal luck from people mm -hmm. who survive accidents, uh, win the lottery, uh, get struck by lightning, bowl a perfect game. Hit he a seeks these one. people out. He finds them through news mm -hmm. news outlets. Mm -hmm. Also, if he sees somebody that you know might get hit by a car and bounces up unscathed. Chances are they've got some good luck. So, you know, he just walks up and shakes what, what their hand. What can he use this for? For luck for his own? No, or, he sells it on it? the black market. So oh, there's, wow. a, there's a little bit of an underground uh, black market thing going on with other people who buy luck. It really, it, and some of the social commentary is that the people who can afford to buy the good luck, of course, are the people who have money. So the rich right. get richer uh, as the luck is stolen from these people. And this, Oh, this might actually be happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, well, one of the things I bring up in there is that they've been doing this for, you know, luck poachers have been around for, for centuries. Mm -hmm. And the the main character's grandfather says, you know, some of the most famous people in history have had their luck poached. Amelia Earhart, Harry Houdini. Abraham know, Lincoln. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, uh, JFK. And he says, you know, and in modern times, you know, you look at all of the celebrity meltdowns and the professional athletes that people screw up. And, well, and I mentioned, I mentioned that, you know, these People probably had the luck poach. Charlie Sheen, yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger, Tiger Woods. It was like working for them, and yeah. then all of a sudden, like, where did it go? Right, because because the fact that they had this good luck allowed them to get away with the things they were doing, and once their good luck is poached, then then things come crashing they down. They might actually like this book, because this book can uh, give them excuses for their knucklehead going on. 
I so. wasn't on drugs. I just got poached. Yeah, and not that I'm not fans of all of them. It's just you know, I, you, I, 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 I make I make your Charlie of, Sheen tattoo is glaringly yes, it obvious. Is, it is. It is. It, it says. It says. Uh, what is it? I can't even remember the T- tiger blood. Tiger blood. Yes, I got my tiger blood. I got my tiger blood going. I'm winning. That's what's across my chest is winning. On the back is losing because that's what you see when you're behind me. I don't know. I'm well, making this up. You um, you know when when the first book Breathers came out. You, how, how instantaneous was the success of that book? Because um, the zombie thing, you know, immediately you're, you're in the, now, like yesterday, you were telling me at lunch day you had this signing with uh, Seth Graham Smith. And so, like, Seth Graham Smith, who did Pride and Prejudice and Zombies and Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter and this and that. Uh, are you usually put into signings and, like, uh, associated with, with authors who do that kind of vampire and zombie and stuff like that? Or what? No, no. Well, uh, initially, well, his... Pride and Prejudice and Zombies came out, I think, I think it came out a month before, I think it came out in early April, and it was a month after Breathers came out, if I'm not mistaken, and that was in 2009, and, you know, his book uh, tapped into a lot of, uh, the, it, it actually kind of started the mashup thing, you know, mm-hmm. other people may argue it, but it, it was the one that really caught fire, nothing else has come close, and it was a ridiculous bestseller, and... You know that that obviously catapulted him with the opportunity to do the Abraham Lincoln, and and that was very well received. And now he did Unholy Night, and his books are not, you know, he had zombies in the first one, the vampires in the second, and Unholy Night was a uh, ghost. No, Unholy Night is a retelling of the three. Here I yeah, I'm promoting Seth. I'm promoting no, your no, book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unholy like Night. Night? And, yeah. And 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 I I'm I hope I'm not I'm not butchering the synopsis, but the the concept is it's a retelling. Of the three wise men mm-hmm. and the three kings yeah. who go to visit the, Christ Jesus. on the night he was born, but there's a very darkness to them. And they all have these sordid pasts, and there's a supernatural element. So it's kind of a horror story, mm-hmm. but it's really about the three of them. And uh, I haven't, I haven't read the book yet. Uh, I have, I can't tell you exactly what the synopsis says on the back, but that's kind of a, uh, a little bit in there. But anyway, I mean, and my books are all completely different too. Right. Zombies. Immortal personifications of fate and destiny, yeah. and fated, and in this one, I have a luck poacher. So, initially, but you I skin I, them in different ways. Yes, you know what I mean. Like you skin breathers as a love story. No, actually, I or not a love. It, the, it, it was, no, fated is kind of a love story. Yeah, uh, breathers was was packaged as a love story, right. and it, there is a zombie romance in there, and and the cover. I, I like the cover, but it, a lot of people look at it and they think, oh, it's some kind of cheesy zombie romance. It's really a dark comedy uh, about zombies told from the point of view of a zombie and what it would be like if if I reanimated as a corpse and I lived, you know, I existed in a society in which zombies were considered you know, non-humans, mm-hmm. but I wasn't really hungry for human flesh. I was just a reanimated corpse, I was gradually decomposing and I needed some serious therapy. You know, how would society treat me? What would my parents think? Could I join a bowling league? You know, <laughs> what what would work what for normalcy me? can I find? Yeah, and you know, and so he he joins an undead anonymous group with other zombies to deal with their new existence and tries to find his purpose in a society in which he has no purpose. So it's a different type of zombie story. Right. You know, it's the what zombie dealing with when you thought of that. Well, that, that was what I came up with. What well, were you I, dealing with? What, I, what was I dealing with? Yeah, um, like what, part of, what period in your life, like what, 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 what was going on that you were like, okay, I have to find a, 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 I'm writing a story about finding purpose. Well, when I, this, it's based on a short story that I wrote okay. in 2001, and that was called A Zombie's Lament. And I just, I was inspired to turn that short story into a novel uh, in 2002, 2003, when I read Lullaby by Chuck Palahniuk. 
because okay. it just it gave me this impetus. It's the first time I'd seen dark comedy, social satire, um, and I'm getting to your question, which yeah. is what was no, going no, on in my life, um, to because it's the first time I'd seen something done that way, and I didn't realize I could do it. So that book provided me with the opportunity to try something I'd never tried before, which is doing dark comedy in novel length. Otherwise, right. before it was just straight supernatural horror. And so this, I was able to combine some things. And the reason I wrote the short story in the first place was that I'd been writing supernatural horror short stories and, and, and several novels for years, but then never written anything zombie. And I kept coming up with zombie apocalypse ideas, but none of them really resonated with right. me. And so that's when I came up with the idea, well, let's flip it. And let's, I'm the zombie instead of the other way around. So I started writing it in 2003. And but he's still a survivor in a sense. He is. He's a survivor. Yeah. So you flip the survivor thing right. around, and, and he's the good guy. I've, I, you know, the monster is the good guy. Antagonist is protagonist, which is – books. I love reading books and seeing movies where, with flawed characters, and, 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 and antagonist is protagonist. So I, my, my characters, my main characters tend to be that. Uh, when I started writing it, uh, at the time I was married, when I actually finished the book – I was going through a divorce. Mm-hmm. There we go. So, there so that's go. what I wanted Looking to do. But, yeah. but I wanted to explain that that you know I, when I started it in two thousand and three, uh, you know I, I wasn't going through the divorce. Right. I started going through the divorce in two thousand and five. So actually, it took me about two and a half years to write. And the and and, and some how artists, much of the divorce got in there? Like how much of the of you finding like purpose from from this this marriage? If 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 that was in there, it was it was all done subconsciously. Emotionally. It was done subconsciously. I wasn't right. aware that that but something like what that, was going in my life. Work. Yeah, I, 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 it wasn't something that I was putting in because because I write dark comedy uh, and I like to make myself laugh. Well, if you can't laugh at yourselves. Well, but well, but the thing is, if 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 I'm going through a period where it's a little tougher, right. un, Unlike say a painter mm-hmm. or a poet. Who can ride out their emotions when they're dark and when they're they're right. having these difficult times and they can paint out that. If I can't, if I'm not in the mood to laugh, yeah, it's difficult to write that. So I don't want to. I don't want to take it to that darker right, right, point. Right. If I want it to be funny, if I want to make myself laugh. But yes, you have to laugh at yourself. And and I make fun of myself in my books as much as I make fun of other people. And mm-hmm. it's fun to make fun of humans because we make so many stupid choices. In um in a book like Lucky Bastard, when you were on the show last, you were giving us like a laundry list of writers that you loved who were in the crime fiction style. You know, you were you were mentioning people like Elmore Leonard and, and Tyson Chandler and so Raymond Chandler. Raymond Chandler. Yeah. I just said Tyson Chandler. Tyson Chandler yes, plays for the Knicks. Yes, Tyson Chandler. He plays for the Knicks. Yes, he does. He's a basketball player. What, <laughs> like, you, you know where my head's been. The playoffs start on Saturday. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. <laughs> Who's your team? I don't. I'm not a. Big, you can't be a Warriors fan. No, no, no. I'm not. I'm not, I'm not a Warriors fan. Uh, I have friends who are Warriors fans, so I'm rooting for my friends for the Warriors to get the seventh pick. Because right. if the Warriors don't, if the Warriors if the, no, it goes if to if Utah. If which the is Warriors, my team. yeah, if the Warriors don't get the seventh pick, they don't have a first round pick at all. Right. They're screwed. Right. So you know, my friends. I, and I think I, they're tanking to keep that seventh pick. I was. I I like basketball when it gets to the playoffs. Um, I like watching it. I, I enjoyed basketball when Bird and Johnson and Jordan played. But after Jordan retired, um, I know there's. You it's know, hard Co- to watch. I know Kobe. Kobe is good, and uh, I, mean, I mean Kobe and LeBron and, and Dwayne Wade and Derrick Rose. Kevin but, Durant. Watch Kevin, Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant. Yeah, yeah no, I mean there's these there's these star players, but I just don't see them inspiring their teams the way that that Bird and and and, and Magic and Magic and, and Jordan just did. elevated. You know, and and I realize that they were flawed as well, but they Jordan just did they it did. Yelling at them. Yeah, but uh, you know, I just I. 
So I actually watched a lot of basketball up to about 2000. And I loved it. And I, I don't know if you're a Lakers fan. No, I'm not. But I loved it. Was it, uh, was it 2004? When did when did when did 2004 when did, was the year that they got Malone and Payton and they tried to go for that fourth that, ring? The Pistons beat them. And the Pistons beat and them. And the Pistons swept them for nothing. And the yeah. Pistons were a team. They were a team. They were a That's team. Right. They played as a team. Like and they didn't have any superstars. And I loved that. I love it when a team beats yes. a bunch of superstars. I think that I think that any talent level can I mean, within reason any talent level in, in a game like basketball can beat any talent level yeah. to, because it's it's so much about. Foot placement, yeah. and, and I, I loved yeah. last year when Dallas beat Miami. Yes, yeah, I just, I, I, you know, buying a team to put together. I understand they want to play together, and, and I do. I like Dwayne Wade. Um, I, I, you know, I, I, I haven't played basketball at that level. Obviously, I played a little bit in high school. Um, I mean, I'm five eleven, so I couldn't go very far. But, but watching, I can. People compare LeBron to Michael. There's no comparison. Not, not just the rings. Michael elevates his games in the big games, right. and I see LeBron just goes away. Right. And, and that's, you know, there may be LeBron fans out there. This is just me watching the games. I just watch him, and he doesn't take the shots. He doesn't take control of the game. And I don't think that's him. I don't think he's that kind of player. Right. And I don't think it should be expected for him to be that kind of player. Dwayne Wade can take over a game at that point and take that shot. I think he's that kind of player. But LeBron is – You love, LeBron, the, you love Le, the psychology of this LeBron game. is Scottie Pippen, right. but better than Scottie. He's yeah. not as good a defender as Scott. Not as good a defender. Not as good a defender, but more athletic. He he's, got more, he's got more skills, but yeah, and he, yeah, probably not. Um, but, you know, he, he hasn't developed all of these different aspects of his game. He's, he hasn't worked on his, his mid-range jumper and, and some of these other things. He's just, he's, he's not as complete a player. So he, even, though I'm not a basketball, even though I'm not a basketball, a basketball fan. fan. You're a total basketball fan. You're a total basketball fan. I know enough about it to, to You know to more than it. most of these knuckleheads who are just like, Kobe's great. Yeah. Well, and, but they can't and, say why. And Kobe, Kobe can, Kobe can elevate t- players around him too, and he just keeps going. And, and he's been doing this since he's eighteen. Yeah. You know, and and I, I think the, I think he's the best player playing right now. Derrick Rose may take that mantle from him, depending on what we see Derrick do in another four or five years, or Kevin Durant. Those two guys probably yeah. are, are the the next, you know, Michael and Magic and and Larry. Is this what you guys were looking for, Geekscapers? <laughs> is this what you guys were looking for? I mess up one name, and all of a sudden it's sports talk. Yeah, what, which is what fine. Would, oh, I, I've right, actually right. wanted to do a sports show on Geekscape, but I can't figure out how to do it and have anybody give a damn. By the because way, I love I love talking about this. Before stuff. before I forget this, just quick, what was what was this what was this movie that you were doing uh, that had to do with Dance Dance Revolution Apocalypse? Because I find that oh, amazing. The, the FP. Because I, I suck at Dance Dance Revolution, and if there was an apocalypse and my life depended on being good at Dance Dance Revolution, I, you know, I'd be fucked. Can I say fucked? Are you yeah, allowed you to say, say that? Okay. It's the internet. <laughs> anyway, that was. I just wanted to, to do that before we forgot. Okay, so Raymond Chandler. That's what, that's what we were talking about. So yes. Raymond Chandler, to get us back on track. Yes. Uh, you were giving us that laundry list of crime novels that you love. Um, do you watch Justified on TV? I don't. I don't watch you Justified. You might like Justified because you know it's based on, on a, uh, I think, Elmore Leonard short story. I believe it is. And I mean, yeah, I've, like read, I've read. On the show and I've like read. That. Yeah, I've read some Elmore Leonard. And I, I don't read a ton of them. Mm-hmm. I've, re- I've read a few here and there. Um, but I haven't watched it. The problem with me is that if I get into a program, it really takes away from my. My writing, my writing, because I started watching Breaking Bad on Netflix, and I watched the first three seasons in two weeks. Oh, you know, you're screwed. I, and and you know, I, Breaking I, Bad's great. I'm watching for four hours in a row. I'm like, this is not helping my writing. Mm-hmm. So, and, uh, and you don't do Game of Thrones. No, I don't. I still haven't watched Dexter. That's still on my list. Dexter, wreck you. We just started. I mean, we started watching Game of Thrones, and uh, 
And I was listening to Howard Stern. Howard Stern does this with his wife where he calls her his Khaleesi, which is like my queen. <laughs> and she hates it because I don't think she watches Game of Thrones. But my wife and I were watching it, so I started calling my wife my, my Khaleesi. You're my Khaleesi, which is like, you know, for, for whatever tribe or kingdom that is, that is like the queen, you are my moon, you're my sun. <laughs> yeah, so, I, I have no idea. My Khaleesi. I, I do it in public. That's the problem. Oh, that's good. Like, I do it in public. But, but you know, some of this geek stuff, like, uh, you know, some of this genre stuff, you can do that stuff in public and not have anybody, you know, people know what you're talking about now, which is crazy. People actually know what you're talking about. Um, you know, people who, you, who aren't geeks would be like, hey, is, was that a Game of Thrones reference? Yes, it is. <laughs> um, so talk, talk, talk to us about your crime book. Granted, it does have that supernatural element to it, but I read the first uh, page while we were at lunch. You, you, you stepped away from the table, and I read that first page. I love the way it opens. I want you to read the first chapter real quick to the Geekscapist. Sure. But uh, what was the inspiration for the book real quick? The actual opening chapter, and, and, and after I read it, you'll, you'll know. I, I, the way I write and... Everybody writes differently. I make it up as I go. I, I, you don't outline? No. I write my books the same way Indiana Jones deals with Nazis and, and, <laughs> and priceless artifacts. Yeah. I make it up as I go. I don't outline. You I don't, don't do any of that. I don't know how my book's going in. Are you suicidal? How Bre- long is this book? Breathers, Faded. Are you out of your damn well, mind? Well, it says 358 pages, but, but you know, they, 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 they made it longer. There's big text in here. Yeah. The, the, te- the text <laughs> is like four, you know, 18 point. But that's, that's, that's insanity. Well, it's, it's... But it's your way. It's the way I, I do it. it, it, it um, they they put writers into two groups, okay. uh, plotters and pantsers. Plotters obviously plot out yeah, their yeah. books. Pantsers right by the seat of their pants. I read a thing on Boing Boing. It was, um, oh, shit. What's his name? A Stranger in a Strange. Oh, Heinlein. Yeah, Robert, Robert Heinlein. Heinlein. And he, and I'm... I'm, I'm mis- Did you read Tunnel in the Sky? No. I'm just going to keep interrupting no. you. Uh, but, but I was watching Game of Thrones. Or not Cat, Game of Thrones. Cat Who Walks Through Walls yeah. is the only other one I read. But, yeah. but he had a quote on there. And, and I'm, I'm not a sci-fi geek. Right, I right. mean, I read some, some stuff. And I, I'm, I'm a Star Wars fan. And I watch Star Trek The Next Generation and, sure, and, sure. and, and the original Star Trek. But I, I don't totally geek out, but I, I like geeking occasionally. So, yes, yeah, so it's fun to geek out. But, and we, as we should, since we're geeks. <laughs> yeah, geek. Of course. But... Um, what was I talking about? You were talking about Robert <laughs> Heinlein's quote. That's that right. Was on on Boing Boing. And he said, his idea of a plot is a character reacting to circumstances and, and then moving the story forward because of how he reacts to those circumstances. Mm-hmm. He says, how a character reacts to circumstances, how, how can he possibly know that until he gets to know the character? So he can't presume. Yeah. He can't presume to plot out these things and say the character is going to do this, this, So you and know this. your characters very well before you start. No, you don't. I, no, I don't. My characters develop as I write them. I get to know them. They, I know it sounds a little weird, but, but then you have to go back and rebuff them. Well, I, 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 I go back and, and do some some tweaking sometimes. But my characters, my plot, my plot evolves out of my characters. Right. My characters' actions dictate the plot. So you do know them in a sense. You know what I mean? But I don't. I don't know them before I start. I know them as you know the plot. But I don't outline. Right. 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 I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that the plotters. They. they, they yeah. They, like I have my I have my plot and like yeah my my plots get overturned but um but I, as I was explaining to the process like I'm in right now like I've tried to kill two characters in the script like they've died in every draft they've died in every single draft and now I've gotten a familiarity with them that they can't die like they, <laughs> they, they, these fuckers won't die like I've if, if you guys uh, if we make the gay by dawn movie and you guys watch the gay by dawn movie. The ending of the movie, you guys are going to be like, wow, there are two, just know that there are two characters on screen who are only, were only in that 
like they're only on on screen in that draft because they've died in every draft. And 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 it just got to a point of familiarity where where the answers that they had to the like you're saying the answers that they had to the things going on right there. They survived them. And I've, tr I mean, I aimed, I'm trying to kill the motherfucker. <laughs> like, I, like, do you ever do that where you're literally trying to kill a character? And it's like, no, they, they rise over it. I mean, the, them in that situation, you get to know them like you would know your friends. Like, oh, they would never do that. Or I could see how they'd do that. You I get to know them to the point where it's literally like, yeah, their, their common sense is, or their, you're familiar with them. They've elevated to the point where they would leave the room. They would react in this way. They would. Blah, blah, right, blah. I, 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 I stay true to what they're doing. Right, and, and actually, it's them that's letting me know. But I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't do character sketches beforehand. But I have had characters die, and then I change them to not having died in the uh, in the next draft. Not necessarily because I like them so much, but because it just didn't seem like it's what should have happened. Right, not because I got to know them. And in in breathers, I have. Um, somebody somebody die in my final draft that didn't die in my original one because as it turned out that character and I'm not going to say who of it course, is needed to die in right. order for the end of the book to make sense right yeah and, and otherwise it for didn't. it to be sound for the yeah. scenes to be sound for the story to be sound for it to for the resolution anything, for to the make resonance. sense yeah. yeah and for it to resonate with an audience I'm certain sometimes like you know what like they can't they wouldn't go out like this is very unimportant and there's only five characters in this, in this. like so if if this dies unimportant you're going to cheat it doesn't feel right you know you've invested too much um, well I, I wrote three books before breathers right. and again they'll never be published and in my second book i actually the, my main character who it's a third person narrative i didn't start doing first person until my next book after that and all my books are first person now the main character gets killed right but the secondary character ends up being the one who survives. And mm -hmm. I remember when I had a uh, – I did have representation on that very briefly, but the, the person got back to me and like, wow, you, you killed off Sean or whatever. I think his yeah. name was Sean. And she was surprised that I did, but she thought it worked. Um, and sometimes that just happens. I mean, you have to – like if you look at Stephen King's The Stand, uh, right. I don't want to ruin anything oh, for anybody. But, yeah. but, but he, he killed off my favorite character you know, about halfway through the book. And then, then, then the he killed – explosion? Then, yeah. And then he kills off some more. Yeah. I know what you're saying. That was my favorite character. And I, I had to sit there. <laughs> because and, Rob Lowe played him in the movie? Yes. I had to, <laughs> the TV movie? <laughs> I had, yes. And that was a bad casting. Uh, I had to close the book. And sit there for 20 minutes and deal with the fact that my favorite character was was killed. I was I was I, I had to mourn it. Them's the shakes before right? I could continue going. But but back to the, well, the only reason I mentioned Robert Highland was because I, th I don't think enough people have read this book, The Tunnel in the Sky. I haven't. Which is The Hunger Games. Oh, is it? Yeah, it's about a graduation ceremony for a survivalist type school where for the week of graduation they just put you in a they put you on a different planet through a tunnel in the sky like they send you they transport you to a different planet and if you then they go to pick you up in a week and if you're still there to get picked up if you've survived for a week on this hostile planet you graduate and, and if you guys are in the Hunger Games or um, uh, 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 Battle Royale or any of that stuff then, then for sure seek out uh, Tunnel in the Sky by Robert Heinlein I, I mean I read it I read it in middle school and it stuck with me I loved it I'll have to read that because I mean I've read I haven't read but I can't it's hard to read Battle Royale because there are 42 characters. Right. And they all have Japanese names, and about half of them begin with a K or an N or, or, or another one, and I just I can't keep them straight. I just can't. I tried, and I can't read through it, and I keep wanting to watch it on Netflix, and it says very long wait. I'm like, 
It's always been a very really? long way. I can never get it. But, uh, but you know, The Long Walk by Stephen King and Shirley Jackson's The Lottery, if, oh, they, yeah. if, if they didn't have some kind of influence on, on, the, ri- on the writing of The Hunger Games, did I, I don't know. Did you see the movie? The Hunger Games, yeah. I, mean, I, did, I, I, did not read the, I didn't read the book. I didn't read the book either, but that first scene where, like, they're, um, they're doing that tribute, yeah. You know, that's, that's the lottery. lottery. That's the lottery. I mean, it that's just Shirley Jackson. the way that they dressed. Remember the the, the film adi- the short film adaptation of the lottery yep. too? Like the way that they dressed, the way that it was shot stark, the way that everything looked, there's dirt yeah. on the ground. That was the lottery. Yeah. Straight up. Absolutely. Yeah. And it, whether anybody admits it or not. Right. It, it, it sure seems that way to me. Because that was, I mean, that's a phenomenal short story. And even the short that they, I mean, they showed us all that in, in high school and stuff. Like that's phenomenal. I mean, seek it out, guys. The lottery. Um, okay, so you're going to read a, let's read a bit of your book. I want the Geekscapists to get a sense of what they're getting when they uh, pick up this new book. Um, it's called Lucky Bastard. It's out, and Scott's going to give us a reading. It's my understanding that naked women don't generally tend to carry knives. But considering all that's happened since I woke up this morning, I wouldn't have been surprised if she'd pulled out a meat cleaver or a chainsaw. Why don't you put that thing away, I say before I realized that was probably a bad choice of words. From the glint in her eye, I can see she's considering obliging me, so I take a couple of steps, steps back, which is about all of the wiggle room I have, since it's less than three feet before my luck runs out. Where I am is the roof of the Sir Francis Drake Hotel in San Francisco, after ten o'clock on a late August night with an angry naked woman holding me at knife point, which doesn't completely explain my current predicament, but at least it gives you an idea of what my day's been like. A helicopter approaches, the propeller thwup, thwup, thwupping, the lights cutting through the darkness and fog. At first I think it's the cops, until I see the CBS logo painted across the side. Great. I'm making the evening news. This is all I need. Maybe I could have prevented all of this from happening had I paid more attention to my better judgment, or found a four-leaf clover, or eaten another bowl of Lucky Charms. I'm not superstitious, but sometimes it doesn't hurt to take precautions. This is all your fault she says, holding on to the eight-inch carving knife with both hands, both hands. All of it. Your fault. It's at times like this I wish I'd taken some classes in situational diplomacy. Even though I grew up in a somewhat lax home environment and had the opportunity to embrace a lot of personal freedom at an early age, I still know how to behave in a civilized manner, like saying please and thank you, or turning off my cell phone in a movie theater. But tact and finesse have never been my strong suits. Not that I have uh, an inflammatory personality. I've just never been particularly adept at managing interpersonal relationships. And if any situation called for a little skill and tact in dealing with someone, this is it. But I don't know if this is the type of scenario calls for humor or reason. Plus, it's a little awkward considering she's naked, so I try to keep my eyes above the horizon. Still, I have to do something to let her know I'm not the enemy, so I give her a smile, one that's meant to be reassuring, something to ease the tension and lighten the mood. Not that I'm thrilled to be here. I can think of other things I'd rather be doing, like sleeping or playing naked twister. Instead, I'm on the roof of a hotel trying to defuse a tense situation before anyone else gets hurt. But like any naked woman holding a knife, she completely misreads my intention. Do you think this is funny? She says, pointing the knife at me, stabbing at the air. Not in a menacing way, but more like Rachel Ray trying to make a point about how to properly slice eggplant. Only this isn't the Food Network, and I'm not a big fan of ratatouille. No, I say, shaking my head. It's not funny at all. A crowd is gathered on Sutter Street, 22 stories below, their faces upturned and indistinct in the hollow glow of the streetlights. But even, even from this height, I can make out the media circus pitching its tent. News vans, reporters, floodlights. 
a dozen cameras trained at the top of the hotel. The CBS helicopter circles us, the cameraman hanging out the open door with a video camera, his lens pointed my way. I smile and wave. I feel like I'm in a Hollywood movie, a dark action comedy, with a little bit of intrigue and personal drama thrown in for fun. Characters die, illusions are shattered, and things get messy. I just wish I knew how this ended, how things wrapped up, my personal denouement. But I forgot to read my copy of the script, so I just wait and hope that someone gives me a cue. The helicopter circles, the videotape rolls, the people on the street below wait for the scene to play out, and I'm an actor trying to remember my lines. It's good. It's great. Thank you. Like, like, don't you... Like, that's it. I mean, the, the cops don't show up, so you get your social commentary in there. I mean, the, the, I mean that's a great reveal, the, the news helicopter. The people looking down the street, not because they're shocked or this and that, but because they're voraciously wanting their blood. Yeah, probably. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 the, uh, it's the, you know, the, 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 the head swivel effect, you know, swiveling left and right and wanting to see what's going on. Do you see yourself as a cynic? Or a pessimist, or, or critical of, of your surroundings. Like 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 where where does some of this stuff come from? I don't. I wouldn't say I'm a cynic, and I'm not a pessimist. I've had people say that in in reviews, and not not like national reviews or anything that right. have said this, but occasionally I'll see somebody on Amazon or Goodreads when I go to just to to take a glance here and there. Why do you do that? I, I, I haven't really done it anymore. I did it with my first two books, right. and I tend to sort of back away. I mean, obviously, if I get a review in the San Francisco Chronicle, which I did. You'll take it, a look. I'll take a look, yeah. and, and if I can pull a blurb from it, and, and you know, I like to see if, if they, you know, skewered me or not. Right. But, uh, but you know, everything's subjective. So, you know, but, but, I, but I have had seen people who say that, obviously, I have a dim view of humanity. And I'm like, no, I don't have a dim view of humanity. Mm-hmm. I'm just making fun of human beings because we're very fun. We're very easy to make fun of. Right. So I'm not a cynic, but, but, I, but I mean, like, 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 like the mass character, like, like the ma- like by mass characters, I mean the society, like the people watching this scene play out on the, on the rooftop. Um, your character views them as this is what they want. The media, they, they want this blood. You know, that's that's a. Don't you think that's a negative connotation towards them? Well. If it is, it's not. Well, see, that's here's here's what this is. This is what you're interpreting you're right. from it. Okay. But that's not what I intended when I wrote okay. it. And 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 this is something I've learned very much after writing my, especially after my second book. It's that there is the truth of creation, and there's the truth of interpretation. And because all art is subjective, whether it's it's movies, books, uh, poetry, art. Music, Nickelback. Music doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Nickelback. We're, just, we're not going there. Whether, whether, whatever it is, all art is subjective. Right. And so everyone interprets things differently. And what I may have intended in writing my book or writing a scene or with a character and how other people interpret it, there is no, there's no right and wrong. Right. Because what I intended is what I intended. But once I, I send it out there and other people read it, it doesn't belong to me anymore. The people who interpret it, I can't. I'm not going to argue with how somebody interprets right. it. Right. People have interpreted some of my things, and in and wild I look, ways. And I look at it and go, what? Like, <laughs> like with with with. Some, sometimes they make me look smarter than I am. I'm like, wow, that's, that's pretty cool. Thank you. Good. Maybe I am smarter than I think I am. Did I intend that? I have no idea. But like breathers, which you know, the dark comedy about zombies. They said that that it was somebody said it was a, an allegory for the Holocaust. Hmm. Like. Uh, what did, sure. And then they, sure. said, they said the zombies were the Jews, the, the, the humans were the, the Germans, uh, the fraternity uh, pledges were the, uh, the Nazi death squads. Mm-hmm. And like, 
Wow. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I definitely know I didn't intend that. Um, but but, but the thing is, the thing is what, what, you, what you interpreted in that first scene, mm-hmm. I don't see that in, from that standpoint as that's the crux of the scene, right, is, right. That, is that there's this social commentary about how the, the news reporters are there, not the cops. And, and again, it wasn't, yeah. I didn't do it consciously. Yeah. Maybe there's something in there. Um, and that everybody's looking up, but that's what everybody would do. Everybody right. would stop and look up and see what's going on. Not necessarily because help. they're just they're spectating, right? Um, and and there's nothing they can do. They're down at the bottom on the street, and, right. and everything's showing up. But you, latch on to that. You, well, you, it's not so much you latch on, but that's that's just where your radar went. Yeah, you know, and that's okay. But I I don't see it as cynical or pessimistic. Uh, I, I think it's just a sign of the times necessarily. But but it's not what I intended when I wrote it. What made you want to write the book? What were your intentions? And I know they're multi. Well, when I first, when I wrote that first chapter, again, I think I started with saying I don't know where the book is going when I write it. That was actually the first chapter in, in a somewhat different form was actually a writing exercise in a, in a class, in a, in a group I was doing. Mm-hmm. Not in a class, but in a group. And it was just a free flow mm-hmm. writing. And it was just to write what came into your head. And the line, it's my understanding that naked women don't generally tend to carry knives, pop into my head. So I wrote that down and... And I wrote the scene that takes place on the roof of a hotel. There was nothing involved with luck that went with it. And I didn't touch it for about a year. And I came back to it and I thought, I'd like to do something more with this. And I had the short story I'd written in 2004 called Softland. And it was about a family of luck poachers, two sons and, a, and or two, two brothers and a grandfather who live in Central, Central Coast and Cal, or Central and California, like Modesto and, right. and, that, and, and, and what's going on with them. And that was actually inspired by a Spanish film I'd seen in 2002 called Intacto, which apparently is being remade right now, which apparently has also uh, affected the ability to, to, to pitch Lucky Bastard as a, as a film. Uh-huh. Uh, oh, no. But it has to do with that. And that's where I got the idea Someone of, of luck, as, as luck by luck as a commodity. Right. Um, and they, they, they cut it differently. They, they do different things with it. They, they tend to deal mostly with the... That, that luck goes from those with less of it to those with more, and it deals with really much high-stake games like Russian roulette and mm-hmm. running through a forest blindfolded between people who have who possess large quantities of luck and the winner, whoever wins or ends up getting the luck from the other person. Mine is very different. Mine mm-hmm. deals with the whole concept of poaching luck and an underground of different grades of luck and people who buy it. And, and to me, that's where the social commentary is. And again, it's you know, mm-hmm. the rich get richer. And it's also how, how people in, in different societies, in our society, view luck. And when bad things happen to them, a lot of times they, they just blame bad luck on it rather than actually taking responsibility for their own actions. Right. But the social commentary in here is, is a little lighter than in Faded and Breathers. This is really, you know, the, it's kind of a fun, playful story. And the idea of him, for him to be a detective... Um, and again, since I don't write my, 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 my books, I was pitching this as a follow-up to Faded to my publisher at the time. My agent asked me to write a synopsis. I'm like, how do I write a synopsis about a book I haven't written yet? I have no idea what's going <laughs> to yeah. happen. A panther can't yeah. do so, a synopsis. So I was writing a few things down there, and I came up with some ideas. I'm like, I'll make him a private detective, and, mm-hmm. and I'll throw in some kind of strange relationship he has with corporate coffee house baristas, and maybe there'll be a... A kid in there who has pure luck, and and I just throw this in there, and then as I went to actually write it, I'm like, yeah, I kind of like these ideas, and and I, the detective thing seemed like an interesting idea, and two guys in my writers group, 
had written detective novels that you know had different degrees of humor, and I ended up reading a couple of detective novels by an author named Paul Tremblay, and he wrote a novel called The Little Sleep and No Sleep Till Wonderland, and The Little Sleep was a play on The Big Sleep, which is yeah. Raymond, Raymond Chandler's first novel with Philip Marlowe, which is the iconic and book to read. It's not only is it is it a great crime novel and and and, and hard boiled detective, but Raymond Chandler is a fantastic writer, mm-hmm. and that was his first book he published at fifty. But anyway, so Paul Tremley wrote this The Little Sleep at fifty. Raymond well Raymond Chandler wrote right. he had he had the book published at uh, I think forty nine fifty years old or wow. so that was his first book published The Big Sleep awesome book really good book so. You know, if, if you do like crime stuff, um, it's not as hardcore as Elmore or not uh, uh, Elroy. Elroy, why can't I think of his name? I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm dumb. Uh, um, Black Dahlia, Ella Confidential. Mm-hmm. Um, why can't I remember? Uh, Jesus. It's not James. What is it? I'm not going to get it. James Elroy. It's I'm James flipping Elroy. it around. James that's Elroy. Why, that's why I had it wrong. Um, it's not as hardcore as I that. I was close, actually. Yeah, we were. <laughs> Only because El- I'm a movie fan. Yeah, Elroy James. <laughs> But anyway, Raymond Chandler stuff is is a little less. Um, it's not quite as, as hardcore as, right. and dark as as James Elroy stuff, um, and it's a little less playful as uh, um, Elmore Leonard stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, like you know, Rum Punch and and uh, and Get Shorty and and, and right. uh, Maximum Bob. Those you know, they're a little bit more playful. But I just I was reading but all this. This is uniquely you. I was, but I was reading yeah. all this stuff, and it and it really made me say, yeah, I'm going to make it a private detective. I was just I was influenced by all the stuff I read, and I just I so I asked I hadn't read Raymond Chandler yet, so I asked a couple of people. I said, what what book should I read from for for good crime? And they suggested The Big Sleep and The Maltese Falcon uh, by Dashiell Hammett. And I was a bigger fan of Chandler. I've actually read a couple more of his books, but that influenced me, and so I, I made him a private detective and. Uh, gave him the name Nick Monday, which actually came from a screenplay I'd written almost 20 years ago that was like a, a naked gun airplane type of humor. <laughs> and my main detective's name was Nick Monday, and, and, and the femme fatale, and it was Tuesday night, but it was night like like in a chess game. K-N-I-T. Let's make that movie. <laughs> and so and so they, they had all this wordplay, and there was a, a, a schizophrenic in it. His name was Warren mm-hmm. Peace. So, War and Peace, yes, okay. All right, well, hey, it was 20 years ago, all right, guys, yes. back off, back <laughs> off. But I liked the name Mon- Nick Monday, and I right. wanted to, since nothing happened with that screenplay, I, I, I brought that name back into the book. And so uh, I just, and, and, and because this is very plot-driven, it was very challenging for me to write this since I didn't have a plot. So I would have things happen, and characters would show up, and, and, and people would reveal that they were this person or this person or that they played this role, and it would be... I'd say, I, well, I didn't expect that. Now right. I have to figure out, now what do I do? Because I didn't anticipate this happening. It just, sometimes things happen on the page. Characters say things and do things that I'm not necessarily anticipating, but it's what's true for them, and I just, I go with it. And, uh, you know, eventually, he starts on the roof of the hotel, and I have no idea how to get him back there. Right. Because that's what the book is about, is how he got to the roof of the hotel. It's almost like the, uh, what's that writing uh thing you hear about where you put your main character in a tree and then you just throw rocks at him. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like, like you put him up there but you don't tell anybody how he got up there or how he's going to get down. Right. But you just see what he does yeah. when he's up there. So I had to figure out how to get him there. And so, of course, you know, he encounters a lot of obstacles and things that are going on and, and you know, there's intrigue and basically running. It's, and it takes place in San Francisco all in one day. 
So it was that was something I'd never done before is uh, shorten the time frame. Mm -hmm. um, and it was kind of fun to do. So there is, I mean, there is some ruminations on luck, periods where it, it slows down a little bit because he's, he's dealing with this and explaining how he steals luck and the whole mythology of luck and how that all works. But uh, for the most part, it's, it's going boom, boom, boom through the, the story, at least, you know, just to me. So it was, it was different from my other two books, uh, and each of them were different from each other. So like I said, I, I write... I write books I would like to read, right. and I write books that I would like to get lost in. When I sit down to write a book, my purpose is to write a book that, that I, and hopefully the reader, gets lost in so that the world outside of the book ceases to exist. So that's always in the back of my head. What advice? At lunch, you, you said that when people ask you for advice, you had, what, was this, what was this piece of advice that you gave about uh, writing? Um, specifically with writing, yeah. not not with not with not being able to be published, but with with actually. And, what and that's you're valuable too. That's valuable too. Well, I'll, well, I'll throw it. Well, okay. I'll throw it that first. Is that you know a lot of people say well with with self publishing now, right? Some of this stuff gets thrown out the window, but if, some of that stuff is vanity press, and yeah, nobody but, cares. Yeah, but if you're if you're looking to to just do ebooks and stuff like that, that's one thing. If you're looking to have a major publisher publish you. Or, or even a small press publisher. Or getting and, an agent. Yeah, getting that. an agent and, and having somebody represent you to help you negotiate the waters and maybe you know, get you some foreign rights and do some other things. And you're having trouble doing that. I started writing in 1990. I didn't sell my first book until 2008. Wow. That was my first sale. I, I, I'd made a little bit of money, but that's almost, you know, it's 18 years. What were you about. doing? I had day jobs. Mm -hmm. I, I worked... Uh, post-production for a company that uh, did all of Disney's uh, TV commercials for their movies and theatrical trailers for their movies. I was a waiter. I worked as an office manager at a home business uh, for an artist for about 13 years. Then I did property management in San Francisco. For but this entire years. time you're writing? Entire time I'm writing. Right. Yeah, and, and Breathers, it took me 18 years to, to sell my first book. And, and, you know, 17 to get an agent. Here's the, here's the odd thing. It took me 17. 17 years until I found an agent, almost 18 years. It was November of 2007. And two months later, after getting finally getting an agent, she had me a book deal with Random House. Wow. And I'm thinking, well, I, I should have got an agent years ago. This is easy. This is easy. Uh, but well, it, took, it, took yeah. me, it took me 15, not only did it take me 18 years to get to that point where I could get my first book published, but Breathers was the book I was sending out, and it took me 15 months and 82 agents who said no until the 83rd said yes. Wow. And so that was a lot of rejections. And How often did you think about, like, just giving up? Why? Well, or, or still do. Well, no, I'm kidding. No. Well, <laughs> yeah, writer, writers are always their own worst enemy. I, 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 have, I have points where I, I'm, I'm reading what I've written, and I'm getting ready to send it off to my agent, and I think, this is just garbage. Because you have moments where you've, you've spent so much time with it, and you just, you're sick of it. And then you read it again, and you're like, oh, this is pretty good. Every writer right. has that, that moment. I mean, I had that, that moment when I actually my editor was reading it, and I said, why did you buy this book? Yeah. Because I just I wasn't feeling, I was in the wrong state of mind about it. But, uh, but you know, it, 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 it took that long to, to get that, 15 months and 82 inches. But I did tell my, my friends, I said, if I reach 100 rejections, if I reach a century mark, I'm going to need a pep talk. Yeah. Going. So, uh, but I fell 17 short of that. So that's it. Is it's, it's what I, and again, I, I'd asked. Uh, you know, you just you never give up. It's. It, it, what was you, the Galaxy Quest quote? Yeah, isn't Jason Nesmith? Is that his name in it? Uh, you, Tim, you geeks Tim, gave us no in Galaxy Tim, Quest. Tim Allen's uh, character, and it's you know never give up, never surrender. So <laughs> that's what you can't you can't give up. You have to believe in yourself as a writer and what you're doing, because n nobody else is going to believe in you if you don't believe in yourself. Right. 
So that's that's the first thing. But as far as just actually writing, don't write anything that people tell you you should write. Oh, you should write a story about this, or you should write this, or try to write to a market or a trend or anything like that. When you write, you need to write something that that matters to you, something that that makes you laugh, makes you cry, sends chills down your spine, something that resonates with you. Because if it doesn't resonate with you, it's not going to resonate with anybody else. Right. And you're going to live with it for so long. Yeah. And if you're dictating your, your writing to what the market is, but in two years when you're done with that novel or that movie or the screenplay or this and that, market will be totally different. But well, even if you can yeah. pump out the book in three months, and some people can, you know, I mean, really, if, that's if, crazy. If if you wrote a thousand words a day, which is yeah. only four pages a day, yeah. and you could write, you know, and, and you wrote a page an hour, and you spent four hours a day writing. Let's say you did that, and, and that's kind of what I do. I, yeah. I I'm not one of these guys that can write five thousand words a day. People who write three, four, five thousand words a day, I think. You're bastards. I don't understand how you can yeah, get that yeah. much. You're machines. I, yeah, I, I can't do that. 2,500 words is my max in a day, and that was when I was just in, in a zone. But if you write 1,000 words a day, which is not unreasonable, you can write a book, 80,000-word book, 90,000-word book, in three months. And that's your first draft. But let's just say six months. Let's say you get your book done in six months. Then you get it to, an, let's say you've got an agent or an editor, you get it to them. By the time it's sold and it actually comes out, it's going to be another year to year and a half because that's just the way publishing mm-hmm. works yeah. for the most part. So you're talking two years from the time you started writing it until the time it comes out. And that's on so a short scale. Yeah, I mean, I sold Breathers in, it took a, you know, I, I finished Breathers in 2006. It took me 15 months to find an agent. Of course, if you already have an agent, that's different. But from the time it got sold, it was another, you know, uh, 12, 13, 13, 14 months till it came out. So, you know, I did. You just can't. You can't expect to hit a trend. I didn't write breathers to to get the zombie thing. I was done with breathers in 2006, and I started in 2003. And, and zombies were not big then. Right. Max, uh, World War Z, I think, came out in 2006. I might be wrong. Might have come out in. But you definitely weren't chasing a trend. Yeah, and and really, that was the first big zombie book. I mean, you had some some Brian Keane and stuff in there before he was doing some stuff, and you had the Book of the Dead came out in 1999, which was edited by uh, Craig Spector and John Skip, and that was really the first seeing that, that created the zombie genre, all those short stories. But, and I only know this from looking back. I didn't know it at right. the time. I'm not, a, I'm not a zombie geek. I wrote a zombie novel, but, and I like zombies in you know, bits and pieces, so to speak. Uh, <laughs> but I, I don't love everything zombie. I, I can only take so much zombie in and I get zombied out. Um, but I do like, if it's good, if it's different, it does seem a little bit different. I love it. I'll always go back and watch Night of the Living Dead and some of these. But um, in any case, it, it, it's just, it's just I, I don't know what I was talking about. No, you, we were talking about, uh, you, I think you said it, your advice to writers, yeah. both on the industry and on persistence. Right. Yeah, you just, you're not going to be able to catch it. I didn't, I wasn't writing to the zombie. Right. Uh, thing. And I, zombie I, fans I, don't even like you. Yeah. No, they don't. Not if, <laughs> not, not, not if they're purists. Zombie purists don't like it because, because my zombies are sentient. But you have a lot of that now. Right. I mean, it's, it's all over the place now. Three years ago, it was not. And they only liked it. We give the metaphor. Or what, what, what oh, no, it was, it was the best line. It was, um, I said, some, you know, and again, there's nothing wrong with being a zombie purist. And you want your zombies to only be zombie apocalypse zombies. Mindless and, and thirsting for human flesh. And wandering etc. instead of running. And wandering instead of running. Not fast, not smart, whatever. Yeah. And I say that zombie, zombie, purists. zombie purists get very Dr. Seuss green eggs and ham about their zombies. They do not like them if they run. They do not like them if they're fun. They do not like them when they're smart. They do not like them with a the heart. 
<laughs> um, guys, if that's not you, then go pick up Breathers if you haven't already picked it up. If you're a zombie fan, you probably have definitely heard of the book. Uh, you know, Scott was on here talking about it last summer uh, or in the fall on, on a Geekscape video episode. Now we have him back. But we have him back because this lucky bastard is out. And also Faded is out. Um, Faded's been out, and you guys can pick that one up too. Especially uh, if you like things that deal with a little bit of like, not necessarily mythology, but, uh, but, but human manipulation, uh, the manipulation of, of mortals by uh, higher powers. Is that what you would say? What would you say? It's um, immortal personifications of, of abstract concepts, human emotions, etc. So uh, it, a little bit like, uh, like American Gods, a little bit like Sandman, even though I didn't read Sandman. Uh, Anthony Pierce, Immortation, of Immortality. Uh, I, it's yeah. way too smart for me. Yeah, anyway. Uh, I'm telling you right now. Uh, on a pale horse. Whatever you're uh, about to say. Yeah, no, it, it, was, it, was, it was Piers Anthony. Wrote, and I didn't read any of this stuff. Oh, Piers Anthony? Wrote, yeah, all this stuff. Uh, oh, I read plenty of the Xanth novels. Yeah. <laughs> I loved the Xanth yeah. novels. But, uh, but I didn't read any of that stuff before I wrote Faded. <laughs> but it's like, it's like a modern-day mythology. It right. is. Yeah. But instead of Zeus and Hera and Aphrodite and Venus. It's purely love it's, it's, and it's, luck. It's, it's, it's fate, destiny, yeah. luck, sloth, gluttony, love, honesty, uh, death, karma, they're all characters. And instead of living on Mount Olympus, they live in Manhattan. Right. So, guys, I think we've got three books that if you haven't read them, I definitely recommend them. This new one, Lucky Bastard, it's been out. It's new, so you can tell your friends, I read it first, which sometimes counts. All right? Um, where's the best place for them to order this? You can order it from Amazon. You can order it from Barnes Noble. I'm... I'm, you know, and if, if you, you want to go to the local bookstore. If you get on ebooks, yeah, I'm I'm a fan of supporting local independent bookstores. I'm a book fan. There I, are ebook versions of this. Yes, there are ebook versions, but but just because it's in an ebook doesn't mean you have to order it from Apple or Amazon. If it, a lot of people don't know this, if you have uh, a Nook, if you have an iPad, if you have any Android systems, and even if you have a Kindle Fire, you can do a side load on a Kindle Fire. Anything but a straight Kindle, you can order ebooks from independent bookstores through Google eBooks, and the independent bookstores get a, a portion of that, so that that way you can help support independent bookstores even though you order in eBooks. And you can find out in the independent bookstores that actually uh, work with Google eBooks by going to IndieBound.com, and they have a list of hmm. all the in independent bookstores on there. You can also go to my website, and if you click on, uh, I have a short story collection called Shooting Monkeys in a Barrel that was only eBooks. And if you go to that page down at the bottom, it actually has buttons to go to certain independent bookstores, uh, as well as a button for IndieBound that will take you to the list of all the independent bookstores that partner with Google eBooks. So if you like supporting your local independent bookstore rather than supporting you large corporate, you can still do corporate, it you can, you can get your electronic eBooks or you can get your eBooks for almost any platform except for the straight Kindle through a lot of independent booksellers. Huh. I did not know that. Yeah, I mean, most I people, most, you, people, most people think it's Amazon or, or yeah. nothing. So spread the word. If, if you like the little guy, if, if you want to help support you know, the independent bookstores, and I do, I don't want to see bookstores go away because I'm a Luddite that way. I like books. I, I, I prefer books to e-books. Then, then that's great. But you can get it anywhere. You can get it at, at any Barnes & Noble, any local bookstore, Amazon, uh, iBooks, uh, you can, you can get any of my books in any of those uh, platforms and, and bookstores. So don't forget that one, the uh, short story collection, Shooting Monkeys in a Barrel. Yeah, there you go. Um, guys, Scott's been awesome. This has been Geekscape. 
Uh, go out and pick up those books, guys. And if you want any more information, geekscape.net's a great place to find it. Of course, we got the Facebook, this and that. I'm still shipping out t-shirts, so order a t-shirt from the Geekscape store. Those are fun to wear, especially going into conventions season, because uh, you look like a walking billboard for Geekscape. And I love that. And maybe another Geekscape will find you and be like, hey, you like Geekscape? I like Geekscape. Let's make friends, which is what Geekscape was really all about, was making community. And Scott's been a great member of it. So... Uh, look for him at SDCC, San Diego this summer. We'll have him maybe at the uh, Geekscape booth Ooh. promoting his books. So, Sounds good. Thanks for listening, guys. Send me an email, Jonathan at geekscape.net. You can follow uh, Scott on Twitter at? S underscore G underscore B-R-O-W-N-E. And you can also follow me at Jonathan London. Uh, we'll see you guys next episode, okay? Go out and start reading. Bye.